This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan. Today, we're chatting with Warren Chad, or Chaddy, as he's better known. Chaddy is a local Kenobulan character, was a keen rugby player, and has spent the majority of his working life as a builder servicing the Kenobulan districts. From an early age, growing up on his family farm, he's held a strong interest in the native wildlife around him, especially the amazing array of bird species. In this episode, Chaddy shares with us how his love for these feathered friends has led him to working with farmers, landcare groups and government agencies, including local land services, to conduct important bird surveys across the region. His recent spotting of the threatened Mallee fowl has been cited as one of his special highlights. You'll also hear Chaddy share with us how he's grown to appreciate the important benefits of birds on farm and the role farmers play in balancing productivity with protection of our native birds and their refuge habitats. Local Land Services Senior Natural Resource Officer, Jasmine Wells, caught up for a chat with Chatty while undertaking a recent bird survey. Welcome to the Seeds for Success podcast. I'm here with Warren Chad, a local builder at Kondobalan. He is going to talk to us about all things birds today. As well as being a builder, he's also one of our go-to bird experts and he's been doing quite a bit of work across the region for various organisations. Welcome, Chaddy. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Thanks, Chaz. Uh, yeah, no, my name's Warren Chad. I'm better known as Chaddy around the Condominium District. I'm a local builder. I've been in this area for about 40 years but I do come from a farming background, so I've always had an interest in nature and animals, particularly birds. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten more and more into bird watching, bird photography. Now I do quite a bit of environmental work with birds and areas in that where we can conserve and look after birds and, and have them in the in the environment. So you do surveys for other agencies. You've done some recently for local land services. You did the ground truthing surveys for the Mallyfowl Matters Project. Can you tell us a little bit about what that involved? Yeah, I've done a couple of uh, Mallyfowl ground truthing jobs for the LLS in the Cadobalan District. There's still a few areas here where Mallyfowl still do exist and there's been a couple of big reserves and in put aside in the 60s and 70s for Mallyfowl to live in where they still do live at the moment so we've had some of the area LIDAR with the ground ground penetrating radar stuff that shows up the mounds and we go in on foot then to find out where the mounds are and try and verify whether there's any birds still there and what sort of activity there is. And what did you find with your most recent survey? Yeah, with the most recent survey it was about in an area about 35, 40 kilometres north, northeast of Kondoblin out around the Mount Boona area. It was quite encouraging there. There's still quite a bit of intact remnant vegetation in that area. Farming practices there aren't quite as severe. It hasn't been cleared as much. And we did see an actual bird, which was fantastic, but no evidence of, of nesting there, which is a bit disappointing. But all in all, that area is still quite a good bit of habitat for the birds. And we did find a lot of good stuff to indicate that they could still live there. And so what are the producers doing in that area 
that helps those birds continue their survival. Not having big impacts of grazing is a really good point for the birds. They're a grazing bird. They like small plants. They live on seeds and things on the ground. So grazing pressure from sheep and those sorts of things isn't so big thing out there because a lot of that country isn't hasn't been disturbed and it's still got remnant vegetation. So the farmers haven't cleared it a lot. They're not farming it a lot and the grazing pressure isn't really that savage. So the birds can still live there. So I guess that leads me on to ask about the changes you're seeing across the region over the years in regards to bird populations. Have they decreased? Are you seeing areas where you're getting more birds congregating? Like what's the general consensus across there? As a rule, what I've been seeing over the 40-odd years I've been here is a general decline in bird numbers, especially uh, woodland birds. Some birds have actually done well from human habitation. Some of the bigger parrots have done okay out of clearing for agriculture and stuff. But as a general rule, as we've cleared more and more land for agricultural use and taken away that connectivity, that's the big thing that we've done now and that's what we continue to do at the moment, nibbling away at the edges, taking away tree lines along roads and lanes. That stops birds moving around. A lot of birds don't like to move around. So we now have good populations of birds here still, but they're isolated in pockets of remnant vegetation which are no longer connected together. And that is a big problem with declining bird populations. What would you suggest that farmers can do? So as you know, we're all about production and I know you are too. Most of our friends in this area are farmers. How can those two things work better together? What can people do to encourage biodiversity, in particular birds, on farm? Farmers need to make a living, so they need to use their land. I think the... um, compromise is is needed to get it so we can use the land for agriculture and have nature living there as well. Connectivity between areas of woodland is critical to birds being able to survive and thrive. So as we clear little bits here and there, I know we knock out paddock trees and things now because we've got GPS guided farming machinery now and all that sort of stuff. We could be planting tree lines along other certain areas, non-productive land to try and keep connectivity going and give those animals a chance to move around and be more or less normal. And what about land that has been cleared already? I see a lot of vegetation in piles. Like how would that be better utilised? That's what we've always done. I come from a farming background too where every pile of dead trees was rabbit harbour or somewhere for vermin to live. We always burn it and cleaned it up. I'd be inclined to leave it nowadays. If we've got to clear some trees or some vegetation, push it up into piles and leave it because it still is a vital last piece of habitat for whatever was living there. And what are the benefits of having birds and biodiversity on farm? What are the benefits to production? Well, birds are an integral part of the environment like everything else. Everything is interconnected. Everything relies on something else. A lot of birds do a lot of good work for farmers. They eat mice, they eat insects, all that sort of stuff. So they actually help in farming areas. And the surveys that you're doing at the moment, so who are you doing surveys for? Uh, At the moment I'm doing surveys for the um, Department of Planning and Environment. Uh, I do their water bird surveys along the river, so I spend a couple of months a year doing those and particularly in the last three or four years when it's been really wet, there's been a lot of breeding activity, so we monitor big lakes and swamps and and all the, the refuges for the birds so they can use it as a management tool for where they're putting environmental water and try to get the best bang for their buck and try and get a good outcome when they're using that water on the river. So that's where I'm doing most of my surveys at the moment. 
That's a tough space for anyone to be working in. It does. It gets there's a lot of agendas and there's a bit of conflict. But once again, it's a compromise. I've found that most people are very approachable. And a lot of the farmers around here are my friends as well. So, yeah, we have some good conversations about how you can manage wetlands and use areas for birds as well as farming. I mean, a good example of that is, you know, cotton gets a really bad rap, but on every cotton farm, there's usually a tailwater dam or swamp associated there that can be used for birds and is a good bird refuge. And with a little bit of management and talking about it and working together, you can have both. And how can people do that? Where can people go? I mean, LLS is one place, but if people are wanting to make better use of those natural assets on farm, what would you recommend? Yeah, there's a few places you can go. LLS are good to start with. They're on the ground in the area. Simply getting in touch with someone like BirdLife Australia. They've got a lot of um, information for that sort of thing. You can get into that and you can talk to a local birder like myself who I've got a lot of ideas on what you can do. And a lot of it's fairly simple. Take away the grazing of a little area like that where there's a wetland and you'll improve it overnight. So it's not that hard. It's just a matter of thinking about it working together and compromising just a little bit. And how did you get into this, Chatty? Let's talk about you for a bit. They say that bird watching just sneaks up on you with age, but you've been doing it for a little while now. Yeah, I've always been interested. I mean, I've, I come from a farming background, so I grew up in a household with lots of baby orphaned animals and baby magpies and foxes and all sorts of stuff. That's where I got my interest from. There was a few years in my teens and my 20s where I was off playing football and drinking beer where the birds took a back seat, but that was always in the back of my mind and there was always people around that you could talk to about birds and, and farmers were often some of the people I talked to about them the most. We had a vet here called Bruce Watt and me and him used to talk about birds a lot and he was really interesting to get some ideas off and get information out of. So it's always been there and it's just gradually grown on me now that I've gotten a lot older. Well, it's just a natural thing now. A lot of people do get more environmentally minded as they get older. And are you seeing an increase in numbers in the bird watching space? Like we had a group recently, I went out with you and a group from Dubbo, the Field Nuts, and, you know, I was amazed by how many people were involved in that. Are you seeing more people getting involved and are you getting more younger people on board? There are good numbers in the bird watching, bird photography. That's another part of it that's taken off now. But a lot of people are genuinely interested in it. So I am seeing more and more people coming through, which is good for identifying where birds are and helping map where they're still living and atlas where the birds are. So we're getting more and more people on the ground with an interest in it and we're finding out more and more as we go. What can people do in their own backyards to make things better? Like you mentioned previously that some birds have benefited. Is there a way of us doing something to encourage those other birds more and the bigger, more predatory birds, less? Yeah, look, it all starts with small birds. It's like everything. There's the bottom of the food chain and the small birds are the, are the basis of the bird population. So having um, some sort of thick, small, shrubby vegetation in your yard is going to be a great way of getting small birds to come there and keeping them safe from the bigger birds. So native vegetation, especially stuff that might flower like eremophilas and those sorts of things, saltbush is another good one. They create a great habitat for small birds. Where you've got small birds, you've got big birds. So you also did a survey for Mallee Fowl three years ago, which was uh, the original priority area for the Mallee Fowl Matters Project. Can you talk us through the whole process and what you did there, what your findings were? 
that was done in, in and around areas of Wagoon and Tolingo Nature Reserves. Now, they're two big reserves covering quite a substantial area and they were put aside for Mallee in the late 60s, early 70s. They both got a lot of good intact remnant vegetation there. There are Mallee still in both reserves, but they have been decreasing. And I think a lot of that's got to do with the fact that we have over the years since that reserves were put aside, we've cleared more and more around those areas. And if you have a look at a satellite map of those two reserves now, they are islands of vegetation in totally surrounded by farming country now, which is all for um, cereal crop production. That has a big effect on these birds because they then can't move around between the areas. There's no connectivity and that's the little bit that we're nibbling away at now, cleaning up fence lines and, and areas like that, which is really decreasing that connectivity as well. So those birds, have, they're isolated in those, in those reserves now and what we're finding is they are slowly disappearing in there. A lot of that's got to do with grazing pressure, not just from stock in the surrounding areas, which means they can't range into those areas to feed, but we're getting a lot of that now from the kangaroo populations and goat populations, feral pigs, who are all pushed into those areas as well because that's their last refuge. If they come out in the open, they get hunted and shot, but if they stay in there, they, that's where they live and they're putting a big pressure on these mallee fowl now as well, which is adding to the decreasing populations of those birds. The goats and kangaroos eat the same food sources. Pigs dig up their mounds and eat the eggs and any chicks in there. So they're copping it from all angles. And we're now finding that even though those reserves are still great pieces of intact remnant vegetation, they are not big enough or good enough to sustain populations of mallee fowl. So those areas that were set aside originally for mallee were benefiting off the surrounding vegetation as well? Yeah, they were because they were still connected. So we're talking about a big bird that likes to live in big areas and they range over large areas. These animals don't just live in a small area and to have viable populations where you've got, you know, they're not getting inbred and pinned down to one spot, they need to move around. And if a bird's got to move through five kilometres of open country instead of a nice open wooded area to get there. It's not going to do it. Can't do it. More chance of predation and more chance of being not successful. And that's why these islands of vegetation are not great for these birds. They eventually die out in them. Add to that where you can get a fire or some other major catastrophe like that in there. If you wipe out the population in there, the chance of it ever being repopulated is very, very slim because once again, they can't get back to that island to repopulate it. So that's what's working against these birds and not just mallee but other birds as well. All the other woodland birds are suffering the same fate because they can't move around and intermingle with other populations of birds and live in that way. So I guess on that note too, it's important to think about if you are looking at planting refuge, it's important to put the right refuge in the right place for the right population. Yeah, that's exactly right. We've discovered over the years that a single or two or three rows of trees along a fence line with no understory doesn't particularly work. You're better off with bigger clumps here and there with a lot of understory if you can for small birds to hide in and then some good connectivity, you know, 50, 70, 80, 100 metres wide rather than just a few trees wide because that wasn't as good as a wider strip will be for things to move through. Have some understory have some stuff on the ground, leave fallen timber and make it a proper habitat for things to move through and that seems to work better. 
Chatty, what would you recommend the next steps are to help that population of mallee survive into the future? Yeah, what we need to do is further protect what we already have there, try and decrease the decline in the vegetation we have so we can then stabilise what's there. Then try and reconnect with other areas so these birds can move around again. Isolated populations we're finding out aren't working, so we've got to try and reconnect this through tree planting and those sorts of activities and try and lessen the grazing pressure within those areas. While ever the birds have got to compete with so many feral animals to start with plus grazing uh, livestock, yeah, they're always under pressure, so that's making it harder and harder for them. Another great idea within farming areas is conservation agreements, areas that aren't so productive. Instead of clearing them, maybe get a conservation agreement on them where you can make some money out of it that way and conserve it for the native wildlife and stuff. Yeah, on less productive areas and areas with good thick remnant vegetation that you're not going to farm too much anyway. Just another option that can be done for those birds and because when you're conserving one species, you're conserving lots of different species, plants and animals. So it all goes together and becomes a good viable environment for those animals and plants to live in. And the producers in that area that you were talking to, they were all quite keen to get on board with helping where they could. Like I feel like there's certainly producers wanting to help where they can. It just has to be a balance. And what were the activities that they were talking about doing into the future? Yeah, there was a lot of positive feedback from the people that lived in these areas. The farmers there, they, you know, farmers want to live with nature as well. They want to leave their farms as in a good a state as they can when they retire or pass it on to the next person. So feral animals are a big problem and a lot of farmers know that. But we live in an area that's got lots of places for these animals to live and they're hard to control. And that is one way that a lot of these farmers on these properties really wanted to control pest species, which would make a huge difference to um, conserving this area. And one of the other comments also in regards to grazing was kangaroo pressure as well. You're seeing a lot of that in that area? Yeah, kangaroo pressure is a big problem. There's a lot of conjecture about kangaroo numbers, whether we've got more now than we ever did, whether we've got less. But even if it's the same as what we had before white men came here, they're all pushed into an area about 10% of what they had to start with. And they are putting a lot of pressure on that because that's where they have to survive. And then they come out into more open areas, especially at night time and things to graze. But they are putting a lot more pressure on those areas that are left because there's more of them in there. That's where the problem is. And they're all keen to do a bit more pest control and manage their goat numbers and that sort of thing? Yeah, most people are. The goat industry, I mean, it's an industry now. And if prices stay high on goats... That's a good way of getting rid of them because farmers, you know, want to get rid of them again because they're actually worth some money. But most people are interested in, in not having them around because they compete with their other livestock, sheep and cattle. So the best not to have them there. A lot of people would be interested and being want to be a part of pest animal control because, you know, it's detrimental to the enterprises that they run. I think they're all activities that down the track, hopefully we can do something with those producers to help with that and help that population into the future? Yeah, I think so. Through local land services and other government groups like that, I think we could work together, no worries at all, to get a good outcome for everybody. And what's next on your agenda to help bird populations, Chatty? Well, I continue to do my bird surveys and um, my education work, mostly with young people. I do 
bird watching breakfast through the local land services here in Condobalan to try and get people interested in bird watching and having an active interest in the local environment through citizen science programs. The only way we can make good decisions down the track is if we have good data that's collected over long periods of time to give good trends in bird numbers, bird populations, and then work out good sustainable ways of fixing that. So that's where the general population comes into it. If we can get kids on board, local landholders and anyone else that's interested in it, we can collect that data and make better decisions, more informed decisions into the future for protecting those birds because I think it's very important. I want to live in a, in a world that's got birds in it. I want to live in a world that's got other native animals and things in it, coexisting with humans and try to get the best outcomes for all. And what does a bird breakfast involve? Bird breakfasts are, are very... They're very basic. We we have a get try and get people together at a local area, usually the lake at Condoble, and it's a good bird watching spot. Get them to come along. We'll we'll have a, a bacon and egg breakfast and a cup of coffee while I give a bit of a talk on just the general populations of birds we have here, what you're likely to see, where you're likely to see them, and then we go and have a bit of a walk around the lake and try and find some birds. And I point out the different types of vegetation where certain birds will live, like fairy wrens will live in the thick low vegetation and give everyone just a bit of a general idea on where birds are and where they can be found and what people could do to try and come out and look at those birds, maybe even get interested enough to start putting them on bird data apps and things like that with BirdLife Australia and becoming a citizen science and and becoming a part of a, a solution to a problem that we've got. Brilliant. And for those listening, we will put some links on this so that you can find out a little bit more about those events. Thanks for your time today, Chatty. Thanks very much and thanks very much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources. We've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Nerily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time. Bye.